Welcome to Behind the Tools. Here's Tradeify CEO and your host, Michael Steckler. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of um, Behind the Tools of Tradeify. And uh, this week, uh, we're talking to actually to our first first builder we've had on the show, actually. Um, I think actually, yeah, Pete, you are the first builder we've had on board. So um, Pete Langford works for Apex Construction, as you can see from his very, well, you can't see if you're listening on the podcast, but if you're on video, you'll see his very nice Zoom background. Um, and Pete's based in Nelson. Those that don't know, Nelson is a city in the northernmost part of the South Island of New Zealand. Um, apparently has the most sunshine hours. I spent a bit of time there. Uh, I'm not convinced that's true. It gets quite cold. Um, but um, it does have a beautiful coastline of the Able Tasman um, and lots of other good reasons, uh, lots of other good reasons to visit Nelson. And I think it's about 50, that population of about 50,000 people. Um, Nelson 50, City itself. 57,000, I think we're at now, something like that. 57,000. Can I just get the Google, the, the Google updated there? Um, so Pete, look, welcome on board. Great to have you. Do you want to be able to start just giving us a brief overview of your, your business and what you do? Um, right, so good to be here. Uh, my name is Pete Lankford. I'm a qualified time-served uh, carpenter, um, licensed building practitioner under the LBP scheme here in New Zealand. Uh, my business is primarily uh, very detail-orientated customers, um, so we tend to be a bit more, um, it's a really overused phrase, but I don't know how to put it a bit more high-end. Um, and we, the sort of business is built on the aspect that the clients I deal with tend to be what some people would call quite fussy, yeah. Um, where it comes to detail, and that's something we excel in. So that's a big part of our business is catering to those clients that are very particular in what they want, and have the um, ability to fund that because that kind of detail does cost a bit more than your than your average. Um, Principally doing renovations and new builds. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah, and, and Pete, how much of the business is sort of new build versus renovation? Um, uh, at the moment, it's we haven't done a new build um, for a wee while. Now, the last one we did, we did a, a big architectural build um, in Brightwater um, just in the year leading up to COVID. And then COVID happened, which sort of, as we all know, put things on a bit of a back foot. Yeah. Uh, since then, we've been just renovation after renovation after renovation, which I think uh, to a degree is being led a lot by the fact that people can't travel. So they're choosing to invest their funds in improving the houses they do have. Um, we've got a bit of a housing crisis here in New Zealand. So people are going, I can't buy a house yeah. and I'll renovate instead. So. Yeah, great. And is most of your work in and around Nelson? Yeah, uh, mostly in Nelson and Sarans. Um, we do uh, get out to um, Moto Acre from time to time for projects over there and a little bit safe, but principally sort of in the sort of Nelson Tasman region is where we operate. Yeah, cool. And Pete, you're originally originally from the UK, um, judging am. by your accent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. You've got that. There's a slight there's a slight intonation now I can detect. Uh, you've been here a while, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you, do you want to maybe talk us through how you got into the... I'm interested in your background. You've done a few things, how you kind of fell into what you're doing. We have only got an hour, so I'll, I'll try and... This <laughs> is the short it. version. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I'm a third-generation carpenter, and my grandfather was a carpenter, and my uncle was a carpenter, and then it, it skipped a bit, and then I sort of 
resisted the calling for quite some time. Um, so I've got quite a varied uh, career background. Uh, my first trade was a uh, qualified motorcycle mechanic. I uh, did my city and guilds in Walsham State and then moved to Reading and did fixed motorbikes for about oh, five, six, seven years, something like that. Um, and then I moved, like being a motorcycle mechanic back in the day was you did for love, not for money. You were never going to get rich doing it. Um, so I chose to make the jump into IT. Uh, very different arena, but uses uh, very, it still uses the same thought processes because basically you're troubleshooting. And troubleshooting a computer is yeah. very similar to troubleshooting a motorbike. It just, it's just different technology. Um, did that for a while. I ended up as um, working with the BBC in London uh, before I hopped over to the other side of to New Zealand. Um, had a go to business when I first got here. That didn't work out. Went into real estate. Did real estate for a couple of years. Did very well in that. Um, got bored of that because it's very much all-encompassing. It's uh, you know it's yeah. a lifestyle as much as a job. Uh, then I did sales for a couple of years and then inevitably ended up uh, choosing to do what I love to do. I've always done my own work and my own properties and it just seemed logical to get qualified and get paid for doing what I love to do. So here we are. Great. So back in the, so back in the family tradition as well, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's a cool story. And, and sort of you intentionally decided that you were going to do renovations and new builds once you'd made that decision. Yeah. 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 It's, um, they have, they, they both have different challenges. Um, renovation work is very, very different to new build. New builds compared in some ways, new build is easy because you start with a bare patch of ground and then you build something. So if something's wrong, it's your fault. Yeah. So basic. So if you get the floor right, then it's all gonna. Everything else is gravy. You get it, get it out of the ground, and get get your floor, be it concrete or timber, then everything else flows on from that. You've got nothing. There shouldn't be any real surprises, you know, other than the little clouds that architects draw on their plans because they're not quite sure what we're going to do until we actually get to that point, and then we come up with a plan. Um, whereas renovation work it's always going to be a can of worms. Yeah. You're and gonna... how, how are you in the renovation work? Because clearly you've got an existing structure and I guess somebody has an idea about what they want to do with that. And they don't always communicate that idea that well. Oh, commute. The, the, the biggest thing in, in renovation work is having very clear communication with your clients and actually taking yeah. the time to be, to get really specific on what they want to achieve. So you can't have too much detail in that in that consultation part of the process. There's no such thing as too much detail because yeah. things are going to change as you move along. But as a builder, it's my job to get as much of the information out of them as I can so that when we're getting into it, there's no major changes. It yeah. should be but your existing structure because we're timber frame mostly in New Zealand. If it's 50, 60, 70 years old, stuff's moved it won't be square it won't be level it won't be plumb and you've got to accommodate that within the work that you're now doing and uh, within the yeah. renovation so that's where it's you, you have a very different skill set that you need to call on yeah and touching on what you just said around timber there obviously is a lot of timber housing in, in new zealand talk how how much of an impact has sort of covid and the supply chain had on you um none 
So I know that a lot of my uh, colleagues on the North Island are experiencing quite some difficulties uh, with timber, uh, which does seem to be getting better over time, like structural timber, dimensional timber here, certainly in Nelson, um, <clears throat> it's not an issue. Um, we're not seeing any delays. We are seeing delays in your sheet products. Like I've been right. waiting three weeks for two sheets of Okumi ply uh, to finish finish a project. And it's a little bit frustrating, but it kind of is what it is. Um, and with the supply chain, it's about educating our clients and just letting them know that, hey, right. we, we're not fully in control of this. So we may experience delays or we may need to substitute a material, a specified material for something else. So it's all about just communicating well with your clients and letting them know what's going on. Everyone knows yeah. what it's like. It's it's well publicised that we're having supply issues. So just managing people's expectations. Yeah, cool. And then one of the things I was sort of intrigued by, um, I know when we spoke to you before, is, is you know, you, you had an apprentice. I don't think you do anymore. You know, what's your no. approach to kind of hiring in the team and how do you how do you think through that stuff? Um my approach to hiring is all it's all about attitude. Um because if you've got the right attitude, then it's gonna work, whether you're a seasoned professional qualified tradesman carpenter or whether you're just coming into the industry. Um I think if you're coming into the industry and if you're turning up and you're keen and you're early, not on time, because if you're on time, you're already late in my book, because turning up ready for work means you were early for this part. I noticed you were early for this podcast. You were two minutes early. You gave me a bit well, of a shock. I was actually, I was actually five minutes. I was actually five minutes early. Oh, you were five minutes early. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So well, if you if if I start if 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 we start work at 7:30 and someone turns up at 7:30, they're not ready to start work. Yeah. Yeah, because they've got to get you know get themselves together. So, so now you start work at seven thirty. That's when your aprons on. It's time to rock and roll. So you actually get to work. I've always turned up on, on most days um, early, so that I'm ready to roll at start time, not five or ten minutes later after I've finished getting my stuff sorted. So yeah, for people coming into the trade, attitudes, everything. Be willing. Be keen. Um, and you've got to make like a sponge and you've got to, you know, because there's all this information that you've got to absorb yeah. over yeah. an extended period of time for the youngsters coming in. Um, and you can't shortcut it. You know, it's not a it's not a quick fix. You don't, yeah. You're not going to knock an apprenticeship out in two years. You know, it's going to take you four to five years just to keep your ticket. And then it's going to take you another four to five years to become a well-rounded carpenter because it's just a time thing bit to, to develop that depth and breadth of knowledge that you need to be a, a well-rounded carpenter that's just the reality of it yeah yeah and, and talk me through you know the, the team size right now so you, you had an apprentice they're not they're not around anymore. Oh, i had an apprentice well i had, I had a, a qualified chippy working for me and then he fell in love and uh, moved to wellington which is great for him it wasn't great for me uh, then we took on a young apprentice um who was fresh out of school 16 and a half and um, good attitude um did his, you know, and he, he knew nothing. He'd never put an apron on in his life. Yeah. So you, you've got to set your expectations. So this, this, it's, they're not stupid. They just have no, no, no knowledge and no experience. But he was doing really well. Um, and then he kind of had a brain fart and ran away from home. Um, 
we know he's in Auckland and that he's safe and well, um, and that's all we do know. So I don't, I don't expect that I'm going to be seeing him back anytime soon. Oh, that's a shame. Now, do you have plans to hire another apprentice in his stead? Yeah, I've been going through the process, and I think that at this stage, probably what I'm going to be looking for is someone with experience rather than someone fresh to the trade. My experience of a couple of people recently who've come along for a day um, has been less than promising. I suppose would be a nice way of putting it. Um, and it's just, again, experience. Um, yeah. You've got to be on on I suppose it's also where my business is at, is I need someone that can, to, to a degree, can hit the ground running rather than having to sort of talk them through everything because it sucks up. I mean, training someone sucks up a lot of time. You know, it's, it's time and it's money and there's time when you've actually just got to get stuff done. Um, yeah, would you would you have a different point of view if you had another qualified chippy on board? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, if I had a qualified chippy with me, then I'd think, okay, we've got room here to take a youngster on, or maybe someone who's like in their first year, so they they're used to the environment, they kind of know how a building site works, so they've got that base knowledge, which is all stuff that you just acquire over over time, almost unconsciously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that just makes it easier for them and then it makes it easier for us. And then further on down the track, you know, I want to be in a position where I can just take someone that's completely green and, and put some time into them to bring them through, you know, because our industry needs yeah. this, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, no, completely. And it, sort of uh, to build on your sort of observation that attitude is a really important thing. Well, I've heard a few people talk about that, that, you know, finding the right person with the right attitude when they haven't got the experience is really key. How do you how do you identify that? How did you look for that? And what sort of questions do you ask in the hiring process? I think that in, you, you kind of got to ask the why. So why do you want to be a carpenter? Because it's not for everyone. Anyone that's come, that's been in trade knows it's, it's hard yakka. Yeah, you know, it's it's not for everyone, and you you need to be clear that they're clear about what they're saying yes to, because what they're saying yes to is probably getting up at <clears throat> around about six o'clock every morning, being on site between seven and seven thirty, putting in a good solid nine hours graft, finishing around about five o'clock, going home, eating, falling asleep, waking up, and doing it the next doing that five days a week um, for, for their working lives. Yeah. Um, so, so they've got to, I want to see if I'm interviewing someone that's fresh to the industry, I want to see something in their background that indicates that there's an interest there, that they're not just doing it by default because they don't know what else to do. Yeah. Because you yeah. don't want to be coming to be into carpentry and building because you don't know what else to do because it's if you're not committed to it it's going to knock the stuffing out of you because you've got to yeah, so you're quite open, you're quite open about that you're sort of quite explicit that hey because i think even just explaining it in that way that you've referred to right you, you're getting up at six you're working until <laughs> five after getting up at six so that's you're right yeah. i think that i can see a few people that would say yeah yeah, yeah i want to do that i want to work and and then sort of a couple of weeks a month of that they decide maybe it's not for them yeah, that's it. You know, it's all it's real easy to say, oh, I want to do this when you're sitting down in a nice comfy armchair with a yeah. cup of tea yeah. or whatever. 
and then the reality, especially in winter, when you go to work in the dark and you come home in the dark and the bit in the middle is not, not exactly great, and the weather, it's cold when you're outside, when it's wet, you know, it's, yeah, a lot of people are just like, oh, I don't need to do that to make a living. Thank you very much. That, that's not for me. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, yeah, I want to see something in their background that shows me that they, they've got that. Yeah. They're doing stuff outside of what they've been doing, whether it's been on, you know, helping someone, helping dad build a shed or whatever, something that shows me that they're practically orientated, but they've got to have a brain as well. You know, our industry is very technical these days. It's not a, right. um, you've got to have a brain. Yeah. And so, you know, apart from the sort of keeping hold of apprentices and, and hiring, you know, what are the biggest challenges you've faced since you set the business up? Oh, where do I start? Um, I think for anyone that is thinking about going into business for themselves and by business, I mean running a business rather than being a self-employed contractor contracting to somebody else because there's yeah. a very different kettle of fish. All right, a self-employed contractor and there's nothing wrong with being a self-employed contractor and there's a lot of people that make a great living and have a great quality of life doing that. You've got to yeah. be very clear about what you're saying yes to if you're going to start your own business. Because as well as doing 40, 45 hours on with your apron on, you're going to do maybe somewhere between 20 to 30 hours in the same week doing all the stuff in the office, going to see your clients, pricing jobs, specifying jobs sorting out suppliers, sorting out subbies, site meetings. There's a whole host of stuff. And then you've got to learn to run a business. You need to run, look at how to predict cash flow, how to forecast cash flows. Um, there is so much to running a business that you do not get taught as a carpentry apprentice or any kind of apprentice. You yeah. That's your yeah. trade. Yeah. So you come into business, you, you, you think you've been working hard, then you start running your own business, then you find out what working hard really is because you're going to be yeah. doing a 70, 80, 90 hour week in the how first did, how did you How did you approach that? So where did you get the sort of the skill set side of, you know, when you're off the tools, you're doing the, the business side of things. How did you sort of build the knowledge and confidence to run that side of things? Oh, I'm confident by default. Um, so the confidence is, I've, I've been described as being irritatingly positive. <laughs> so, so I suppose because I have, I mean, I've, my, I got my first job when I was eight. So I've got a very good work ethic. Um, and I'm a firm believer in being master of your own destiny. Um, and I'm stubborn. Did you say eight? Were you, is it a paper yeah. round? No, no, I was working on a farm. Oh, uh, okay. Helping harvest. Helping yeah. the harvest. Helping harvest. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first 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 job part time where I got paid what where I got paid money for, um, and that was working weekends and evenings. Yeah, you know, just helping out. So that just that's what you do, right? Yeah. Um. So going back to the why of it, it's I'm a big believer in self determination. Um, running my own business gives me the freedom, I suppose, to say no, no we're doing it this way. This is the way it's going to be done because this is the way it should be done. And, and so I don't have to make compromises within my work. 
because I haven't, I'm not trying to meet someone else's deadline or someone else's uh, cost center pricing on an element where right. maybe they've not, they've not priced it so well and we're now sort of trying to catch up. On, I was interested, you, you mentioned, job. you mentioned about jobs, like the jobs you, and I, again, this is, I think, a common thing that I hear from people that set up their own trades businesses. They initially just take, some do anyway, take any, any work they can get to sort of build their portfolio and, and do some work and, from that, yeah. sometimes you get the wrong type of customer. Um, it doesn't want to pay you the right amount for the work and all that type of stuff. Yeah. How did you, have you had any kind of horror stories of work you've taken on or did you, how did you avoid that? How do you identify no, the sort of wrong? I suppose, well, I've had a couple, I mean, no one is going to be in business and have 100% perfect clients. No. Right. You're always going to get some clients. Um and if I was really honest, I would say that my clients that have been a little bit difficult, I've actually got to put that back on myself and go, right, why were they difficult? What did I miss? And usually it's in the communication. There's been a miscommunication or a misunderstanding. And because we're all human and our, our clients are human and they'll hear yeah. something and that's what they remember. And they might not remember what was said afterwards because they hang on to that. And then yeah. if you don't manage it, you can find yourself in a bit of a pickle, but you can always resolve it. How do you, how do you avoid it? I'm just intrigued as to, is there sort of more tools you're using nowadays that help you avoid some of those communication issues that you talk to? Yeah, so I have a lot of processes that I'm still developing like it's an ongoing thing so like I've got my specification sheets I've got my paper trail so every time there's a discussion about something I'll make a note and then I'll feed that back right. to the client or who, the, the, the subby or the architect whoever via email so there's always a trail of who said what and and then sort of condense that into a right so this is what we've decided and these are the colours, and the, the, are you happy with that? And then that gets rid of any kind of misinterpretation. Yeah, yeah. So that's the biggest thing. Pe people, we, you know, it's Chinese. It can be a bit Chinese whispers. The client says one thing, I hear one thing, and then I'll tell the subby the next thing, and then his guy that's working for him hears something else, and then suddenly white can turn into orange if you're not careful. Yeah, so, so do you... Yeah, just just on that. I mean, do you have any examples of, I, I guess, your, you know, your worst customer? I say worst customer. That's probably the wrong phrase, but the customer that's been the most difficult in terms of what you do. Because you, you mentioned yeah, up front that you have people so, that are quite precise. Yeah. So early on um, in Apex, so I took a job on for a couple, and they're a lovely couple, and it was quite. There was a lot of detail. So it was an outdoor entertaining area, and when I went to look at the job, they kind of put me on the spot. Um, price-wise and I made yeah. the this is a golden rule you never fire from the hip when you're on site looking at a job because it will end badly yeah because what so in this instance what happened is we, I looked at the job it was they were supplying the materials it was a labor only job I made an assessment which was a little bit out and then what happened is my assessment of the time required was that, and then we got scope creep. And because it was right. all verbal, because it, the, the, the whole thing was verbally agreed, there was no paperwork, no audit trail, no email. I ended up in a situation where the scope had creeped quite substantially, 
and my clients were going, but Pete, you said you could do it for this much. And I'm like, yeah, but you've added this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and you changed your mind on that, and we redid this. So in the end, what I had to do was I had to suck up quite a substantial amount of free labour. Um, and there was some compromise on the client side as well, but the compromise was very much in their favour. Um, and I okay. had to, and so it was an expensive lesson. Like it didn't break me, but we're talking, it was several thousand dollars worth of, of labour that, I, yeah. that I've, I worked for nothing basically to make it happen. And I had to look at it as a bit of a marketing exercise because what I didn't want was the clients to walk away from that experience with a, with a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah, because I guess uh, that was my next question really was um, I, I assume that that was probably one of the drivers for that. And, you know, Nelson, the area is not, you know, it's not got a huge population. I, I guess word of mouth is, is pretty important. How do you, how do you sort of build the business and, and generate um, new work? Um, so my, my aim with my clients is to turn them into raving ambassadors. Yeah. Right. I want their experience of Apex coming into their into their home, doing the renovation work to be minimal stress, lots of communication, really transparent. There's no smokes and mirrors, nothing's hidden. It's like on, on some jobs will be a fixed price, other jobs will be a cost plus margin. And yeah. my cost plus plus margin jobs, they're totally transparent. So I'm going, right, there's all my invoices. For this stage of the job there's my labor with my time sheets there's my margin on top so they can see exactly what they're being charged for because you have to you've got to be fully transparent i'll yeah. treat my clients the same as i want to be treated i'm a consumer too if i smell bs in my dealings with a company i'm going to walk away so i approach my clients the same because a good client will tell a really happy client might tell 10 people. An unhappy yeah. client will tell everyone they talk to. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah 100%. You've got, to, you've got to set it up for a win right from the beginning. And so you get word of mouth referrals. And then, do you do much in terms of, you know, do you take those testimonials from those clients and do much in the way of online? Your, your website knows under construction. Yeah. Um, at um, the moment, but do you, would you usually share that stuff? And Yeah. So, if, if, you know, when I get a, good review which is most of the time <laughs> um i will use it on uh, the google business page yeah um, because what what i'm finding is that a lot of people are actually like recently um just signed up a job for a well-known financial institution that's an international organization and they found me through google right and they, and they're just typing in building company, construction company. Uh, I think they, I've, I've got it written down somewhere because I asked them, I said, well, how did you find me? And they said, oh, we did a search on, I think it was, you know, building companies in Nelson. And I said, okay, well, I'm one of many. But why did you choose me? Because, yeah. you know, I'm in the scheme of builders in Nelson, I'm, I'm very small for and they said, we, you had all these great reviews. You had all these five-star reviews and we read them and we went, that's, that's the guy. Um, so that's really invaluable. So if you, if yeah, I ask all of my clients for reviews, 
um, I make it easy for them. So I send them an email with the links to the Google business page, the Facebook page, um, yeah. if they want to put it in an email to me as well, because they can just write one review and then copy and paste it over to the other platform. Yeah. So it's make because the easier you make it, the less chasing you've got to do. Because people yeah, are busy. Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I, and I they're like, agree with that. I've got a lovely bathroom, Pete, and I'll write you a review, but I'm busy. So you've got to, the easier you make it, the more chance you've got of them doing it. Yeah, and then the other, you know, I think that's that's really, really good advice. And I think we hear that a lot from people that word of mouth tends to be the mm-hmm. biggest sort of driver of new business. Any other tips sort of from running your experience running the business and, and building it? Any other sort of big tips you would give anyone listening around how to approach this or things that maybe you would have done differently? Um, I think what I would have done differently, like my customer de- demographic has evolved over time. As you mentioned earlier, there's a tendency when we start, when most people start a business, it's just kind of like, I'll take anything because on it, I've got to get get income going. Yeah. Um, and I think, like to start with, you kind of need to do that. You need to sort of take pretty much what, you know, unless you're sitting there with a $100,000 bank balance and you're like, I can sit around and wait till I get a nice juicy job. You've kind of, you've kind of got to go, right, these are the jobs that, I was very clear that I wouldn't take maintenance jobs. Right. Right. I'm not, no, no, I'm not taking maintenance jobs, but I will take anything that's renovation orientated or new build. I'll, t- I'll take that. And I was fortunate in that I got to do a labor only new build for a well-known building company down here as my first job uh, with Apex as Apex Construction. Um, so yeah, maybe I think it starts, start with what you can get and then start narrowing down on who your ideal customer is. Yeah, yeah, that's because great. I've heard that from a lot of people. Cause, yeah, because then you can market to them because you want to market to your your demographic, not to everyone. Yeah, because you because I'm not everyone's builder. Not everyone is going to meet me and go, Pete's the man for the job. Not because there's anything wrong with me. It's just not a good fit. And you you yes. you and your clients are going to be a really good fit. Because then it makes life so much easier because you're already on the same page. So what does that look like? So you talk about marketing to the to that specific group, you know, the people that are prepared to maybe spend a bit more and be quite precise in, in what they're after. Yeah. How did you how did you find those people? How did you get the business in front of those types of people and identify well, that? I think it, it, it evolved because of who I am as a person and, and what I, I mean, I'm really anal on detail. Right, it's it's got to. There's no, oh, that'll do. It's got to be right, um, yeah. and that would seem to attract a certain kind of people. So you do a couple of jobs, and word gets around that right. If you want someone yeah. who's like really good on detail, then go and talk to this guy. Um, and so it sort of evolved from there. And it wasn't until um, I got some business coaching. And we were looking at sort of marketing and that's what we're in the process of doing at the moment is really fine-tuning our marketing message and it's like well what is your demographic and i'm like well i don't know and they said well think about it who of your clients your past clients who who are the ones what's their common criteria so then you start looking at and going okay well they're the, the majority of them are late 40s onwards um, they are either professional or, or skilled. Um, their income as an individual might be $80,000 as a couple. 
well over the $100,000 combined income mark. Um, they drive a not late model, but they, you know, so you can really get into the nitty gritty yeah, of what, yeah. what your clients are. And then, so with Facebook ads, you can aim your, you can say, right, show, show this ad to people that are 45 years and over that live in Nelson that are interested in renovations, new builds, and a whole bunch of other techs. So there's a couple of interesting so then, things in there. That you, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to jump on one thing you said. First was, um, what prompted you to get a business coach? You sort of said, you know, I think I asked right, you earlier about so that. What, what was the driver for that? Because I, I, know, I know about that much. Oh, my hand's vanished. Yeah, you think, sorry, <laughs> about that back, sorry about that background. As your fingers get, you disappear. <laughs> right. So I know about that much about carpentry. And then I know much less about running a business. Yeah. Right. My, 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 the learning trajectory about, learn, about learning how to run and manage a business is much, much steeper than learning to be a, a builder. And it needs to be, because if you don't learn quick, you're not going to be around. Um, and I looked at where I was and sort of, Prior to COVID, we were sort of always building a, a good bit of momentum. And the phone was ringing, I was getting email inquiries. And, and then sort of post-COVID, it all just kind of fell apart a bit because right. we, we sort of, we, we weren't doing anything for like two months. So we lost that momentum and I sort of, we've got to build this up again. And I'm like, well, I actually need to fast track this because I don't want to take another year to get that momentum going again so I thought right well I know I'm good at building and I'll have a certain skill set but there's a lot of skills that I don't have I, I need to get these skills and the only way I'm going to get these skills is to basically fund my own private sort of university degree in, in running a business so business coaching it was it, it was the logical choice to make how did you find that and how, how did you find the coach uh, i found the coach funnily enough through an ad on facebook you know because facebook listens to all your searches when you're on google and you start looking at because i was i would have been looking at the new zealand business mentors uh, website i'm sure and then the same day i got a ad for a, a private company that, that um has coaching aimed specifically at um, remodelers and uh, renovators and new home builders, custom home builders. So had a yarn with them, looked at what they had to offer and there was a lot to it. And and I was sort of, okay, this is a a, a one-year investment for me to take all of these parts and bring it into the business, into a cohesive whole. I'm looking at a a 12-month time frame. Um, so I was like, well, well, I've got nothing to lose and, and everything to gain. So it was, you know, because you can't, you can't do it all yourself. No, no, that's you why know? I was keen to understand. I think I had, I spoke yeah. to someone down, down in Dunedin um, and he was talking about using the business network and, you know, that's how he found his accountant and actually his fleet cars and, and other stuff. But I think it's good, it's good practical advice for people. And did you get payback on that? Investment, would you say? Um, it's well, see, see, that's only a very recent thing. Um, so the coaching started about a month ago, and like a lot of business owners, I didn't have a business plan. 
Like it yeah. was in here, but it wasn't written down with steps and milestones and all the rest of it. And I hadn't accurately achieved, um, identified what my end goal was. I hadn't accurately identified who my demographic was. Um, so there was a lot of holes in structure. And, and there still are. And, and over time, those holes are going to get filled with, you know, a consistent marketing campaign, a consistent sales process, yes. a consistent follow-up process, and all, all of the stuff that you need to have in place to run a business well. And did the Facebook ads come from that advice? You sort of talked about you picked the demographic and then you started um, to buy some ads. No, Facebook ads, I... I just testing the waters, I thought, right, I'll run some Facebook ads and then I'll run some Google ads and see what happens. Um, and it was quite interesting because we suddenly saw a lot of clicks on the Google business page and, and more traffic being driven to the website. And it was a little bit mistimed because the website's still a work in, pro in progress. So people to get to the landing page and there's not much for them. So that's uh, that's definitely a priority is to get the website squared away so that yeah then when when the marketing message is fine-tuned we can sort of pull the trigger on it and we're going to start seeing you know that demographic going hey pete come and talk to me right right great cool this has been really really helpful i think it is uh, interesting i think there's some really good stuff in here around how you thought about hiring building the business, picking the right customer, yeah. um, right through to, you know, finding advice in the areas you felt weren't your, weren't your strength, which I think is a really, really good advice for anyone. We always finish on a, a handful of questions, which I'm now going to ask you. Um, so I'm going to start with the first one. You might, I might already know the answer to this, but I'd be quite intrigued to see what you say. So if you hadn't, if you were doing another trade, you weren't building and renovating houses, what would you do? Or what would you choose? If, as in, as in, as in doing another trade? Yes. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. You would do this. I'll just, I'll just, yeah, no. If I mean limiting it to like being another kind of trader, I, I, there's nothing I, I, I can't imagine me doing another trade. Um, because, and I think that the reason that I love building is it's so varied. Like, I get bored easily. I don't like yeah. doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you know, I was speaking to my subbies on on the site, you sparkies, you plumbers, and they're kind of doing the same thing every single day. In that it's piping out a bathroom or piping out a new build or whatever, or doing the fit off. They might have a different opinion, but yeah, okay. So you, <laughs> you, you like what you're doing. Uh, I get that. Um, and then if you had a choice of sort of favourite on-site lunch, what would it? What would it be? Um, my favourite on-site lunch would probably be um, oh, kebab, actually. A kebab? There is quite yeah. a good kebab place in uh, Nelson kebab. City. I've got the name of it. Oh, there's, there's a few. A, there's a few yeah, good kebab yeah. shops in, in Nelson. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. You know, because it's like it's because it's, you've got everything. You've got you've got your carbs, your protein, and your greens. All in one place. You got everything, and um, so yeah. Nice. You like it spicy? Probably a cup of coffee. Yeah, a bit of spice. A bit you of like chili spice on. with a cup of coffee. Yeah, good. All right, great. Um, go to tool brand. If you had to pick one, oh. what would it be? Power tool, uh, cordless power tools. It's Milwaukee. Um, yeah. I've been using their stuff for seven, eight years, and I've still got all of my original Milwaukee gear. It's all still works. Um, it just takes an absolute pounding. 
Um, and you know, it's backed by a five-year warranty, which I think no one else, I think AEG have got a six-year warranty and everyone else is lagging, lagging behind it like two and three-year warranties. So the, for me, the warranty speaks volumes about the quality of their gear. Yeah, cool. And, and as we all know, red's faster. <laughs> so they say. Um, I don't know about Ferrari, maybe not, not, not right now. Maybe going back a few years, but not at the moment. Then sort of the next question, uh, interesting time to ask this question. So, you know, if you were going to pick a sporting event, live sporting event that you could go to, um, you know, and actually people are going to now, which is great to see, especially in the UK. It's been really positive to see that happen. What's yeah. the, what would it be? Um, oh, uh, World Superbox or Minor GP. Yeah, one Probably of those. Both. Yeah. Something, something, with two, something that involves two wheels and an engine, or I'd be there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my. I mean, I ride myself, so that's you know, that's that's my thing. That's your thing, great. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, sort of, the last question is, you know, you you interact with other tradies down there on the South London. I'm sure we're sort of interested in getting kind of other interesting people on the show. Is there anyone that yeah. you interact with you go would make a great guest that would bring some insight and be helpful for other people to hear? About? Yeah, there's there's a, off the top of my head. Uh, New Zealand based, I would say um, Andy Morgan at MD Construction. He's just this quiet guy with a huge skill set, um, really good um, attitude with his employees. Um, and he's been around, he's been in 25 years in the trade. And he, he's just, but he's one of those quiet people. Look, I'm quite gregarious and outspoken. Um, and Andy is just like a quiet achiever. Um, but he's a really nice bloke, and he's he's got some. He's yeah. He's if you want a real straight guy to talk to about about the building game, he'd be the one. Um, and he's in uh, Wanganui, and then my second pick um, would probably be Troy at QBS. Um, cool. He's doing amazing stuff. Like you look at the projects, there's like monster projects. Um, anyone who's in on Instagram might be following him. I think last year or the year before, um, he just slid a three-story um, villa out of the way, built a basement, and then slid it back. Oh wow! And 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 he slid it onto a pre-built pole platform that was, from my estimation of the pictures, like the base of the house was six meters off the ground. Wow. And it was like, and I'm sure it would have been squeaky bum moment when it when it came to doing the slide. But this was Put it back on, yeah. slid the whole house, the whole width of its footprint off of where it was standing, so we could get in and do the block foundation and slide it back. And it's it just blew my mind. And and that's and he's very very uh, quality quality orientated. Right. Okay. Stuff. Yeah. That's fantastic. No, it's really good advice. Great, and then Apex Construction, your website's under construction. What's the best way to uh, get hold of you in the meantime? Or is it to go to the um, website? Well, we've got, we've got links on the website. So either yeah. there, um, Facebook or Google business page. So just yeah. uh, just Google Apex, Apex Construction Nelson, you're going to find us. Great, okay, cool. Well, Pete, this has been an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate you spending the time, by the way. It's great to have you on the show. Um, and we look forward to speaking, speaking and actually hearing the results of your business coaching maybe in a six months or a year's time. That would be yeah. cool. Watch this All space. Right.
All right. Thanks everyone for listening again. And as always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please um, like, comment, etc. Give us a review if you're on Apple. Um, it's greatly appreciated. Cheers and see you soon. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Behind the Tools is brought to you by Tradeify, job management software for your trade business. If you enjoyed the podcast, let us know by leaving a review and be sure to tell your mates about it. Email behindthetools at tradeifyhq.com if you or someone you know would be keen to join the show as a guest.